0: Friends, we're in Hebrews 13. We've been starting a series called Reset after jumping out of the book of Hebrews, uh, out of jumping out of COVID and all things that applied to that season of life, and realizing it's not time to uh, redo 2020 because we don't want to undo what God has done, but we want to reset our focus. And we're focusing on Jesus and who He is and how He is supreme over all things in the book of Hebrews. And now we're landing in 13 and we're going to just dive into this uh, because what we find here is this powerful proclamation of how we are to live. And I was thinking about this and even as we were worshipping then, thinking about how Thursday night I had the privilege of uh, sitting through a constitutional review Q&A meeting while the mighty power were uh, handing it to Geelong. Where's Joel Weezy? He, he left the building, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch that. But uh, I was thinking about it, and how it's funny how before a game like that, as a team, you know, they talk about it. Let's go into battle. They love to use that battle language in sport, and that idea of we gather, and we huddle, and we come around, and we talk, and we speak strategy, and we speak about how is it this is our adversary. This is the person or the thing or the team that's coming against us. How is it that we are going to fight? How is it that we are going to stand our ground? How is it that we are going to prevail against our opponent? And so they talk strategy. And really that's what Hebrews 13 is. It's in light of who Jesus is. Now what do we do? Because we need to understand that we are in a battle. Amen. the Bible tells us that our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of of this dark world. It's talking about there's a spiritual battle which is happening for every believer. And we are in that battle. And therefore, because we are in a battle, first we need to recognize we're in a battle. We're not just rolling through life randomly. There is a war for the souls of humanity. And we therefore need to know how to fight and what to fight with. And Hebrews 13 is about equipping us with tools for the battle. And it talked last week about this idea of leadership and prayer as two powerful weapons that we have to fight the fight of perseverance, to endure to the end, to resist the devil, to to press against the, the cancer of our culture and to make sure we don't fall down that path, but to press on to win the prize which God has called us, heavenward in Christ Jesus, yeah? Today we come to this... Amazing weapon that God has given the saints, and it's Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, which says this through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Someone say praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices. God is pleased. I love that idea that actually praise is a thing that pleases God. We're going to look at that in a minute. Praise is a thing that that pleases God. But we're in a battle. We're in a battle. And here's, I want to suggest to us that really that battle is twofold. Because oftentimes we'll look at the battle and we'll think of it as times of discouragement or despair. Uh, we think of it as of times of distress when we're under intense conflict or or life is difficult, we see that as the battle, we recognize that as the battle, and we're like, man, I need to fight through this season as stuff's coming against me. What we often don't think about is actually the other side of that battle, which is actually deception and distraction. Like, we rarely think about the fact, the whole purpose of our adversary is to take our eyes off of Christ, if he can take our eyes off of our Savior, if he can get us to think about ourselves instead of thinking about the one who has saved and the power of the promise that we have in him and living in that faith, that's how he wins the war. I love C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, powerful book for anyone who's read it, where it's basically C.S. Lewis talking about the senior demon advising a junior demon on how to tear humanity away from that focus on God it's powerful and this is one of the key things he talks about like just get them to think that they are that they don't need god and really that's that i think is the big battle in our culture in the west that's that's the cancer of our culture is is pride it's the same it's the same sin it's always been it's a sin from the garden of eden that, that we want to be our own god And whether that is by in moments of despair and and difficulty where we just seem to look inward and focus only on us and we forget the one who comes to pull us out of the miry clay or whether it's actually by pouring out, you know, we just have prosperity and things are going really well for us and because things are going so well, we're so easily, instead of offering that praise, we start to look inward and think, look at me. How easy is it in our culture to just go, you know, that hear that whisper, look at you. You are good, you're going all right. Like, look at you smashing your workplace. Look at you growing your bank account all by your own self. Look at you sporting those skinny jeans. Look at that, jeepers, you look good. You know, like, you gotta post that thing. Look how many likes you got. Look at you, and that voice is so prevalent in our culture. And it's so easy for us when the blessings are coming down to forget to send the praises up. And the blessings come down and we're just like, yeah, look at me. You know, someone says, pleased to meet you. You go, yes, it is. You should be pleased. You should be pleased to meet. Like this is, this is the cancer of our culture. And what I want us to realize is the heart is a fickle thing. John Calvin says that the, the human heart is an idol factory. And what he means by that is when the blessings come down, if we don't turn them to praise, the heart will have a way of twisting it into pride. When the blessings come down, if we don't turn those blessings to praise, the human heart has a way of twisting those things towards pride. It's the same weapon. It's the same battle. And we must learn how to fight against it. We must learn how to fight against it. And Hebrews 13 right here says one of the greatest weapons that we have against our adversary to fight the fight of faith, to persevere to the end, to resist the devil, to stand firm, to not fall into that sin of pride is the weapon of praise. God has given us a powerful weapon of praise. And I want to just bring a couple of things out of this passage and and highlight this a little bit. Why is praise so important? Why is praise something we should value as Christians, as a church? Why should we put a priority on praise? And the reason is first and foremost is that praise is a posture that brings right perspective. Praise is a posture that brings right perspective. Whether you're on a mountaintop and life is good and you're hearing that voice look at me or whether you're in a dark dark valley and life is difficult and you want to say woe is me praise is a posture that will bring right perspective and it will fix your eyes where your eyes should be fixed because this word here where it says therefore let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, it says a sacrifice of praise. That word, the Greek word, is the word "inesis." Everyone say "inesis," and that is the direct translation from the Hebrew word da. Everyone say "tudar," and "tudar" is one of the seven Hebrew words for praise. And here's what it means. It's powerful. It actually means to extend the hand in adoration. Affirmation and acceptance. So, of the seven Hebrew words that he could have used right here, he uses the word tudah, which actually carries a physical postural representation of what praise is. And what we need to understand in that the Hebrew context and the Hebrew culture, the extension of the hand means two things. The first thing is it's a a sign of blessing. So when I extend my hand, I'm casting a blessing. The second thing it means is reverent submission. And so what he's saying here is the sacrifice of praise that will ward off our enemy, that will cause us to endure. The weapon that God has given us is a praise that is submissive, is a praise that puts itself in the right posture of humility before a holy God, pours blessing back to God, As I sit in reverent submission of his glory and wonder. And that's the type of praise that will prevail. That's the type of praise we're called to because that's what praise does. When we're lifting up the name of God, we're lowering our own name. When we're elevating who God is, we're reducing who we are. It becomes less of me and more of Him. And when we realise it's more of Him, then it doesn't matter what we're going through, whether we're struggling, whether in seasons of difficulty and strife, we realise that my God is a prevailing God. We realise that my God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, that He's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. And I begin to declare these promises and these truths, and the enemy can't get in to steal, kill and destroy that faith. But if things are going well for me, it reminds me that actually I'm just the dust of the earth that's here today and gone tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how great the world thinks that you might be or how successful you might be. At the end of the day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of a holy God and give an account of your life. And the only place you want to be is hidden in Christ. Because he's the holy, righteous, glorious son who comes to set us free. Praise is a posture of humility that brings proper perspective and keeps us right where we should be in the fight of faith. Amen. Second thing I want you to see here is that praise is the product of seed. Watch this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Where does fruit come from? Trees. Where does a tree come from? Seed. So praise is the fruit of lips, but praise, therefore, is the product of a seed. What is that seed? The Bible tells me that the word of God is seed. There is a seed of faith. There is a seed that the word is implanted in the hearts of humanity. And when that seed germinates, when that seed sends down its roots and it takes root in the heart of a human soul, it will sprout something. You see, when the word takes root, faith sprouts forth. And when faith sprouts forth, it will produce fruit. And the fruit of faith is praise. And I want you to understand something here. You see, it says that no one confessed Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it says that the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we can't profess his name as Lord except by the Spirit. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the word is seed which gives rise to faith. And the fruit of the lips is praise, but there's also the fruit of the life, which is the evidence of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, carry on. That's why in verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So there is a fruit which should come from faith and it is both my life and my lips. The fruit that faith will produce is both a proclamation of praise from my mouth, I actually have to declare his goodness because that is what will happen when faith is alive in me, when the, Spirit of the God, when the Spirit of the living Lord is in me, I will pour forth praise from my mouth, but my life will also bear fruit and that fruit is in line with the Spirit. So praise is both the fruit of the lips and the substance of life. And we see this This seed is so powerful. If you, if you go, can I teach Bible for a second? If we go to Leviticus, and I know not many of you go to Leviticus because it's dry. Let's be honest. It's like eating sayos without anything. It can be dry, but gosh, it's good. If you look at the start of Leviticus, where the law is being poured forth, something fascinating occurs. You will see that what God does is he brings about the means by which we access his presence, which is the sacrificial system. And he talks about bringing offerings. And we bring offerings and their sacrifices are made. And there's, there's seven chapters. And in those seven chapters, it goes through all these different offerings. And it comes to the last three. And the last three are an offering, sacrifice for sin, An offering and a sacrifice for guilt, and then an offering and a sacrifice for praise. Thanksgiving. Guess what word they use? Tudah. It's the exact same Hebrew word. I'm trying to compose myself, and I am limited. I, like, Caleb's happy because I can't walk too much. But I want you to see this. You see, so there's this pattern that God has put about... How we access his presence. Now, the means has changed. We no longer have to come through the sacrifice of animals anymore because we have the once for all sacrifice, which is Christ. And so, therefore, we don't need to bring the constant offering for our sin and the constant offering for our guilt. However, it does not mean that the people of God should still not bring a sacrifice of praise in response to the offering that has been presented for sin and guilt. The mode hasn't changed. God never said, All right, don't bring me praise anymore. No, He said, This is the pattern. I'm fulfilling that. I'm covering your sin. I'm covering your guilt. I'm doing that. The Hebrew says, once for all. No longer do we have to keep coming back over it? It's done. It's finished. So there's one sacrifice left. What is that sacrifice? Thanksgiving and praise. Ta-da. That's the sacrifice that the church needs to bring and it says to bring it continually. Why? Because it's not once a year that we go to the temple anymore to bring the sacrifice. It's every moment of every day as we fix our eyes on Jesus that we can go, "Oh, my sins covered. Oh, my guilt and shame are covered and done. There's no condemnation. And because there's no condemnation, whether I wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, or whether it's 10 o'clock at night, I can bring him the sacrifice and the fruit of my lips, which is praise. And that's the seed. That's the seed of the word which gets in us. And when that seed takes root and we go, yes, Lord, that's who you are. That's what you've done. You are who you say you are. When that word takes root, the fruit is praise. Now, why is this important? Why does this matter? It's because when we understand the nature of the seed, that praise is a product of seed, we recognize that praise has power. Because if that seed is the word, we need to know That therefore the seed that dwells inside of each and every one of us that would bear forth fruit is actually a sword. That seed is a sword because we know that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, if the Word is the seed inside of us, then we have a sword of a spirit inside of us. So, when we praise, which is the fruit of the very seed, we therefore are bearing forth a sword. We have a sword to swing and therefore it has power. Are you with me? And so the reason we must praise is not just because it's fruitful, because it is the fruit of the seed. It's because that seed and that fruit carries power. It carries great power to advance against the enemy's kingdom. And the only way... And it, oh, Compose yourself, David. The best way that I can show this is Acts chapter 16. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. The best way, I think such a great example in scripture of what this looks like. Because what we see in this passage is two men who bear fruit. They bear fruit of praise, both the fruit of the lips and the fruit of their life. And we see the impact of this. We see the impact of this praise, both the fruit of the lips and the fruit of the life. And it's shown in Acts chapter 16. You see in Acts chapter 16, there's two blokes, a guy called Paul and a bloke called Silas. These are powerful, wonderful, incredible men of God. And both of these fellas are kicking some goals in ministry. And we start this passage out, it says they're going to the place of prayer and there's a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future and she's following Paul and Silas and she's like, these men are servants of the Most High God. And she's just badgering him for like five days, constantly behind them, just yap, 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 yap. And after a while, Paul gets ticked off and he's just like, come out in Jesus' name. And he rebukes that spirit, and all of a sudden that spirit leaves that slave girl in an instant. Now, if that's me, I'm pretty happy about that. If I'm doing that ministry and I'm casting out devils, I'm like, ministry's good right now. (laughs) You with me? You know, good things are happening. And the temptation is, the whisper of the enemy is to say, look at you. Look at you. Look at the power you bear. That's the temptation that Paul and Silas come against. And there's every reason for them. They could have just wandered. They could just be like, yes, 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 proclaiming that. But actually God allows something else to happen. Because instead of God saying, yeah, look at you guys go. You know, I want to expand your influence and increase the size of your platform and, and you know, make this ministry like everyone talking about Paul and Silas. No, do you know what happens? It says that the owners of the slave girl were so annoyed that they had them beaten with rods. And then cast into prison. And when we say beaten with rods, it's not a gentle spanking. It's not a naughty pull. Stop it. No, this is this is a this is a beating with rods. This is like their ribs are broken. They're bruised everywhere. They've probably got busted lungs. Their faces would be completely messed up. Broken jaws and cheekbones, like they are in a messy, messy state and then not only that, they're then cast into the inner room of a prison it says and this is not the prison at Mobilong that we go and visit as a church this is think dungeons think pitch black freezing cold stone floor stone walls rats everywhere, it's a horrendous place to be. And there they are, beaten, bloodied, bruised, and abandoned, and you can't tell me that in that moment they are not sitting there thinking, where are you God? Don't forget they're human. I think too often we forget these guys are human. Are you with me? We read these scriptures and we just read them like I don't know, like Peter walked his shadow past someone and he was healed. And we're just like, great. And we keep reading. What the heck? His <laughs> he shadow passed someone and he got healed. Are you kidding me? These are real people going, undergoing real emotions. They have all the same stresses and pressures that we have, all the same temptations of pride, all the same struggles with difficulties when they come upon them. They, they're real people. and You can't tell me that in this prison cell Paul and Silas aren't just there moaning. and thinking where? What? What the heck? God I'm doing your work. God we're, we're on our way to prayer and we've cast out a devil. Why are we here? That's the temptation. The Bible says something fascinating. It says from verse 25 it says about midnight, someone say midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I think that midnight is more than a time. I think it's a metaphorical moment. It's midnight. I wonder if you've ever experienced midnight in your life. We've all experienced the mountaintop and that's a great place to be. Paul's just experienced that. Now he finds himself at midnight in a dungeon, beaten, bruised, barely having the breath in his lungs. And it says it's midnight. And in this moment, Paul has a decision to make. Does he allow his praise to be determined by his predicament? Or does he allow his praise to be determined by God's power? And Paul has a moment because the enemy's whispering. He's saying, Look at you. Look at you. Where's your God now? Are you really going to give him praise? How can you praise him in this place? But guess what? Paul has a seed. Paul has a posture and I love to imagine some stuff in this because the Bible doesn't tell us and so sometimes I like to just put my own imaginary context around what I'm reading to give it meaning and I just can't help it in this moment with that voice going Paul just sits there and he, he thinks about who his God is and what God's brought him through in the past he remembers the seed and he just goes yep it's happening it's happening and I think with a really quiet, you know, he's he's being I think with a quiet, gentle voice when the prison is completely silent. I think Paul just starts going, I cast my mind on Calvary. And I think it's broken. I think he's hitting some wrong notes. I think it's okay. But it's raw. Where Jesus blessed. Died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. Must save your arm that cursed tree. And I reckon in that moment, Silas has a human moment. I reckon Silas in that moment, he is his mentor, his friend, this great man of God. And I think everything within him, his flesh is just wanting to say, shut up. Why do you have to be so spiritual all the time? Settle down. Can't we just lament the fact that this is where God's landed us? Can't we just take a moment to be real Paul? reckon that's what his flesh wants to cry out. And then he hears this beautiful old man, Paul, who just starts the chorus. Can you give us the chorus, Marty? Are you ready, team? And he just starts, Paul just starts going, oh, pray. I think in that moment something happens to Silas. I, I just can't help but Silas goes back to his seed. And I think Silas remembers Israel standing at the walls of Jericho. And I reckon as he stands there thinking about the walls of Jericho and how God had a, had a moment where he could come with the might and power of the army and he could scale the mighty walls of Jericho and tear them down. And God says, Guys, what I want you to do is I want you to go out with the singers and the musicians. And all the soldiers are like, "What? I've been working out for ten years for this moment to not be mine." And the musicians are going, "What? I've been playing a trumpet for ten years to have to this moment be mine." And God says, "That's what you're going to do." And they walk around the walls, and the seventh time they go around, what happens? The praise goes up, and the walls come down, and somehow God. The power of the praise ruins the strength and integrity of the walls. And I think Silas remembers that. He thinks, oh, there's power in praise. And I think he remembers Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to read it. And I reckon he remembers this mighty army of Moab and Mount Seir and all these nations coming against Israel and how Israel had absolutely no hope in and of their own strength. And God commands Jehoshaphat, this king, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pray and you're going to praise. And so Jehoshaphat goes, alright, that doesn't make a lot of sense in this moment, Lord, but that's what we'll do. And the nation prays and the nation gives glory to God and they start to pray and they start to worship and they lift up this shout of praise. And the next thing that they know is that this mighty nation that was coming against them is completely destroyed. And Israel spends three days collecting the plunder of the victory that God brought through the power of praise. And I just got a feeling that in this moment, after seeing these things and reverting to his seed, that Silas just goes, oh, yeah. And he's not like Paul. Oh, no, he's, he's not down here quiet. And Silas was a great orator, the word tells. I think he's got some pipes. And I think Silas is there. He's like, oh, yeah. And he's just like, then on the third, at break of dawn. The son of hell, you know, he's going for it. Are you with me? I think he starts singing that thing as loud as he can. He just starts declaring truth of who God is. And then Paul's like, oh yeah. And then he starts going for it. And there they are, bloodied, bruised, beaten. Their feet are bleeding from the stocks. They're chained in the inside of a dungeon. They can't see anything because it's pitch black. And the only thing that's going on in that prison is this one resounding, praise, bouncing off the stone walls with reverb like you wouldn't believe singing, oh praise the name of the Lord our God. What a praise. And the Bible says something fascinating. It says in that moment that the prisoners were listening. And as the praise goes up something happens. The prison doors fling open, the chains fall off and it says that The the jailer called for the lights. Actually, before that, it says the jailer, uh, when he saw the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, now with his chains broken and the doors open, shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Because Paul understands something. He recognises that God didn't place him in a prison for no reason. He goes, God enabled me to be in this prison so that I would have a moment to pour forth praise that God might bring about salvation to everybody here. And it says that after the prison doors flung wide and the chains fell off, then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, he felt trembling before Paul and Silas who'd just been beaten. And then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. He washed their wounds. He and his household were baptised. He brought them. They had a meal. He was filled with joy because he and his whole household had come to believe in God. That's the power of praise. Friends, we need to see this, that God puts the seed of faith in our hearts to pour forth praise from our lips so that regardless of our circumstance, independent of your preference of what worship or song you like to sing, it is purely so that you can become a vehicle through which God can bring about His saving grace in the lives of others. As we pour forth praise, our lives become a platform for His power. As we pour forth praise, our lives become the means through which He will save others our testimony, our witness in the moment, even at midnight, carries such power. If we're sitting there lamenting and moaning, Paul and Silas still get released the next day regardless. But they understand in that moment that the reason they're there is that they might still give glory to God in spite of their circumstance so that God could use them to do a miracle that He wanted them to do because God's not about our comfort. He's about growing His kingdom. He's about growing his kingdom. And so he says, friends, my people, I want you to be a people who know what it means to bring a sacrifice of praise. Praise when it's midnight. Learn to praise when it's hard. Learn to praise when it's difficult. Because that praise has power. That praise changes the world. That's why praise is important. Can we be a people of praise? Can we be a people of praise? I don't know what that looks like for you in this moment, wherever you're at in your life right now. If you're on a mountaintop, don't forget to praise because every blessing is from above. And if it's midnight for you, don't forget to praise You don't know what doors God's about to open. You don't know what lives are about to be blessed by the fruit of your lips and the substance of your life. Recognize who He is. Pour forth praise because He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to sing Paul and Silas a song. in case some of you are thinking, Dave, that song was written like 10 years ago. I know that. (laughs) But I'm allowed to dream. I don't know what song they sung. But I know it glorified God. And the Bible says that these sacrifices are pleasing to God because God is pleased when His kingdom is advanced. God is pleased when His kingdom is advanced so we're going to have a chance to pray and respond right now we're going to sing and if you would like prayer for anything in particular i'm going to invite if you're a person who just wants to pray for people right now you've got faith to pray and you're keen and eager and ready i to invite you to come forward and if you would like prayer for anything in particular i'm going to invite you to come forward we'd love to pray and encourage you maybe for you there's some chains that you need broken We're going to pray in faith that God will break those chains because he's a miracle working God. Maybe for you, you feel like you're sitting at midnight and you don't have a song and you're struggling and all you feel is the darkness and despair. Well, we want to pray with you that that seed would bear fruit. Or maybe you just want to come and encourage someone and I encourage you to come. So let's come, let's pray, let's praise, let's give God the glory that's due his name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.